This afternoon I preach you the word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the church in the Heidelberg Catechism. We're at Lord's Day 12. If you'd like to read along, you can find it in the Book of Praise. It's on page 527, Lord's Day 12. In our confession, the church interacts with two questions. The first, why is he called Christ, that is, anointed? The church answers, because he has been ordained by God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption. Our only high priest, who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and who continually intercedes for us before the Father and our eternal King, who governs us by his word and spirit and who defends and preserves us in the redemption obtained for us. Why are you called a Christian? Because I am a member of Christ by faith and thus share in his anointing so that I may as prophet confess his name, as priest present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him, and as king fight with a free and good conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and hereafter reign with him eternally over all creatures. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in the beginning God created us to live in fellowship with him in a covenant relationship in which God promised to be our God and told us that we are chosen to be his people. And in this relationship with God, the Lord allows us to share in the riches of his kindness and his mercy and to be part of his eternal plans as an assembly of believers who now live in fellowship with one another. So living in fellowship with one another, with another person, that only works when we seek to complement their lives by coming beside others, like, like two gears whose teeth interlock. God created us in such a way that we accomplish more when we work together with others than we could accomplish on our own. And in order to fulfill our creational mandate or our, our mission in life, to glorify God in our relationships and in our work and in our worship, we need to employ the gifts that God has given us in such a way that they assist others to draw near to God in worship and obedience. And we saw that this morning also in the passage we read in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And so this complementing happens in our friendships. You think of how you complement another friend, you work together and accomplish more together in our marriages, it happens in congregations, and also as we take our place in neighborhoods and cities and countries where God has placed us. Well, the fall into sin has made all that complementing and loving more difficult. If you look at Genesis 3, verse 16, the Part of the curse for the woman is your desire should be contrary to your husband. That's pointing to a, not a complimenting but a, a competition. And in this competition against God and his purposes, sinful people want to make themselves their own gods as they seek to fulfill their own sinful desires 
And as they do that, that just sets them up in competition against others who are also struggling with the same pride and selfishness. Now in his mercy, God has sent his son into the world to bring us back into fellowship with God and into fellowship with our neighbor. And so the the work of Jesus Christ is so beautifully described in that the, the display text as we walked in this afternoon. We read, and again in Luke 22, that Christ came to not to be served, but to serve. And he revealed this in the name. The Son of God took on the name Christ, which means anointed. And he, he reveals that, that that name reveals that he is one who has been ordained and anointed to serve others. That's the theme of the message this afternoon, and we'll look at that in three angles. Again, these three angles, just to remind you, are the three purposes and roles or functions of, of creeds to declare the Christian teaching, to distinguish the Christian church, and to define the praise or our Christian life. And so we see that first that Christ fulfills all the service offices, that's the declaration. No one can serve others without Christ. That's the distinction of the church. And Christians share in his anointing. When we use the word office, we're not talking about a little study room in our homes, but we are talking about the calling we received in paradise to serve others. When you hear the word office, you think about serving others. An office bearer is an ordained servant, a person who is appointed by a higher authority to serve in a particular task. Now in God's creation, everyone has an office and a calling. And so every discussion about offices in the church must begin with the understanding of the general office of all believers, whether we are, we are a young child or a young person or an adult or a a man or a woman, we have the calling, the office to serve God and our neighbor in our relationships, in our work, and in our worship. The special offices were only instituted by after God's creatures failed in their general office. And then they needed some divine assistance in order to get back on track to their calling, their mission again. And so the mandate of any person with a special office is to serve God's creatures by helping them fulfill the mandate of their office, their general office, to serve God. This means that the general office of all believers is first. They are the ones, you could say, who are reclining at the table. And the special offices in the church were instituted to serve believers in fulfilling their offices. And that all becomes very clear when you look at the Old Testament. The office of the patriarchs was used by God to lead the faithful covenant children of Adam and Eve on the pathway back to humble submission to God and receiving the blessings of his grace. And these early patriarchs, it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they served as prophets and priests and kings. But when the number of God's people grew too large, the tasks of these three offices were divided among different individuals and families. Prophets were then 
ordained and anointed to help God's people know and to live in relation to God's will and his promises. And then priests, together with the Levites, were ordained and anointed to serve God's people by leading them on their journey back to God after they had sinned against him, and then to point them to the blessings that God poured upon them. So you read about a priestly blessing, which is a, a mediator role. And then kings, and then you can probably fit judges into this category as well, were ordained and anointed to serve God's people by leading them in the faith, the faith of the nation, in their ongoing fight against sin and temptation and to equip them in the grace and redemption that God had granted them out of mere grace. So you see how the special offices were ordained to help every believer in their general office. And since the word anointed in the Hebrew is Messiah, and the word anointed in the Greek is Christ, we could say that all these Old Testament service office bearers were partial messiahs or partial Christs because they could only provide a part of what God's people needed to, redeem, uh, to remain in their redeemed life. They needed to work together in their calling. The anointing they received was a very clear sign and a seal. It was an, an oil that pointed to the, the giving of the Holy Spirit. And so the anointing pointed them to God's divine work through them. And so the anointed prophets, priests, and kings were representing the invisible God, bringing the church back to him in the work that they were doing. So you see the warnings against not touching God's anointed, for example, in Psalm 105, or you can think of David uh, refusing to kill Saul, King Saul, the anointed of God. And in this way, those Old Testament service officers, you could see offices, you could see now how they were all pointing forward to the Son of God, who came to fulfill all the servant offices at the same time. And the Son of God then is rightly called the Christ, because he was ordained by God the Father and anointed by the Holy Spirit to be the Messiah, the anointed one. What others had done in part before he came was done in the highest and com most complete level by Jesus Christ. And that's what is being reflected in our confession, in, the, in our statement of faith in the Heidelberg Catechism. You'll notice the word chief to describe Christ as prophet and teacher. And you'll see that it also says who fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption. What had been done in part before has now been done fully. Christ fully fulfilled the promises of the Old Testament with his own life and teaching. There's nothing about our redemption that remains hidden and there's no one, no one in the world needs to wonder now about how we ought to live before the Lord. You can see also, in the same way, the word only connected to high priest. And the word one connected to his sacrifice of the body, which points to the finality of Christ's sacrifice. And then we confess, we use in our creedal statement the word continually connected to the intercession before the Father. 
It's pointing to Christ's eternal satisfaction and advocacy, that he's, he's presenting our requests and prayers, our, our case before the Lord. The scriptures are very clear that Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life, and that he has given everyone who believes in him eternal access into the glory of fellowship with our triune God. The Christ has served you by paying for the sins you committed and by praying for the fellowship that you were created to desire with all your heart and soul and mind. And then finally, to capture the fullness of Christ's work, you'll notice our confession also states that the Messiah, the Anointed One, Christ Jesus our Lord, is our eternal King. When all, where all other kings before could only help us for a limit, the limited time that they lived faithfully on the earth, Christ is a king who came to serve us forever. His government and royal power will never stop being beneficial to us. It's a gift that he obtained by destroying all God's enemies. It's a gift that he confers upon us who submit to him as the Lord, even though we constantly are losing that battle against sin and our daily weakness. Christ gives us victory as a gift in his own rule. Well, that marvelous declaration of the gospel that everyone in, in all the world must hear is that in fulfilling the servant offices, Christ truly came to serve and not to be served. The word Christ in our creedal statement, the statement of faith, the Apostles' Creed, is a word of gospel. It's a word that declares that, that the Son of God serves his church. He restores to us what was lost in paradise. And there's no other way back to God outside of him. We see that in our second point. The statement distinguishes the Christian church no one can serve others without him. Now, as we sang in hymn 40 and also hymn 84 this morning, the scriptures teach that when Christ ascended into heaven, he did not leave the world or he did not lose his serving offices. He remains the Christ, the anointed one, who has been ordained and anointed to serve the church. As he himself said in Matthew 28, verse 20, he is with us always, even to the end of the ages. And so a good illustration of the, the relationship we have to Christ is the, the, the illustration of, of a head and a body. Christ's ascension into heaven wasn't a decapitation, it wasn't a removal of the head from the body, but rather it was a coronation of the head with the body and a victory for the church. Christ is our head in heaven, and we on earth who believe in him, who are the part of his body, we now we can be certain of our own resurrection and our own eternal glory because of our connection to the Christ. Although he is in heaven and we are on earth, we are united to him and to one another by one spirit. We celebrate this union in the sacrament of Lord's Supper in anticipation of what Jesus promised in the passage we read in Luke 22 when we will eat that 
meal with him face to face. Christ, the risen and ascended Lord who gave himself for us, continues to, to serve the sinners he bought and he redeemed with his own blood as our prophet, our priest, and our king. He still speaks to us. He still guides you through his word and spirit. His sacrifice still counts for us before our holy God in heaven. He continues to intercede for us. He still rules over all things for you, his church. He continues to protect and preserve his church so that we can live in blessed fellowship with God and one another through him. We can see the, the glimpses of paradise in Christ today. And we can see the evidence of Christ in our lives when we hear the voice of the good shepherd in the pastoral care we receive. In John 10, our Lord Jesus warned his church that there may be other voices out there, but that we should only listen to his voice. And that's what distinguishes the Christian church, exclusive submission to the voice of Christ as the only prophet. It's what leads us to also take great care to ensure that anyone who claims to be preaching the word of God knows the word of God. It's able to reject any teaching that contradicts what Christ, our prophet, has revealed concerning the secret counsel and will of God. If Christ's voice is not recognized in the, in the calls of the hired hands or the people climbing over the walls. Such preachers and teachers are dangerous to the flock, unable to serve God's people. Without reflecting Christ, no one can faithfully serve others in their preaching and teaching. In the same way, receiving Christ as our only high priest the faithful Christian church distinguishes herself by then rejecting every other form of mediation or any other supposed ways of, of getting to God. There are not many ways to God, but Christ is the only door of the sheep, he says in John 10, verses 2 and 7. There is no need for any further payment, not through altars, not through priests, because Christ's work is completed, finished, once and for all. There is no other, there is no need for any person to, to stand as a mediator between you, believer, and God. There's no need to get a person to maybe obtain a blessing for you or even to, to pray on your behalf as a, as a mediator because the Son of God is the Christ, the only high priest who continues to serve us in every way. You don't need to earn your way to God because Christ came to serve everyone who believes in him. The only way to serve your neighbor by your teaching is by pointing him to Christ as the only way to the Father. Anything else that you might say or offer as a means of peace with God, it does not serve your neighbor. Receiving Christ as our eternal king recognizes that he is the only head 
in the church. And so receiving that, we also reject any teaching that gives honor, the honor that belongs to Christ, to any other person. So now we're in the realm of, of church government. It's a rejection of hierarchy. The church, faithful Christian church, distinguishes herself by rejecting hierarchy. That's when other judges or other rulers are given a power to determine the standards of teaching and what obedience looks like in the church without being accountable to Christ. Faithful Christian churches who confess that Christ is the king and the head of his church will also reject the legitimacy of the authority of any person who claims to be the head of his church on earth. Whether they be so-called heads of denominations or these great big international churches, very wealthy men nowadays, or the brazen so-called pastor of a local church who is giving commands that are not in, in line with Christ's rule, his voice, faithful shepherds of the great servant and shepherd Jesus Christ will not follow the people that Jesus warned against in John 10 and also Ezekiel 34. And so brothers and sisters, every time we confess that we believe in, in Christ, in his role as king. We are also confessing that we will only follow leaders who repeat his teaching, who display his power, which is always combined with love, people who imitate Christ. You see, no one can serve others as a leader in this world without Christ doing it through them. And that's a call to every leader to be Christ-like in their conduct. If a husband wants to truly serve God in the way that he serves his wife, he must be Christ-like. He must be self-sacrificial in his love, just like Christ was. If parents want to be a blessing, if they want to serve the spiritual well-being of their children, they will be Christ-like in their instruction and discipline. You can see how in, in the home and the family that the Bible is first and, and Christ is ruling through the ones he appoints and gives authority. If office bearers want to serve the congregation, they must treat others as Christ would. If civil servants want to actually serve the people they have authority over, the sovereign rule of the eternal king must be evident in their laws and decrees. Anything else is fighting against the truth, the true king. As we think through that, it raises the question, well, when people look at, at us, maybe the way that we exercise authority in our life, do they see the, the glimmers, the reflection of Christ, the eternal king? Do they see a, a ruler who came to serve, a ruler who, who wants to wash the feet, who wants to serve the guests at his table, who stands beside them in their struggles, one who, who is, understands this life of uh, the, the sacrifice in, in thanksgiving. 
And so it asks, are you, in your general office of all believers, are you an office bearer who truly loves your neighbor? Are you Christ-like? Well, under-shepherds of Jesus Christ can only serve in a profitable and a useful way when they imitate the Holy Spirit and shining all the light on Christ. When they stay under their head as his body and they stay under him upon whom that anointing oil spreads down. And the imagery of Psalm 133 comes to mind about the oil that came down from Aaron's head onto his garments. And so we'll see that Christ confession of Christ is something that defines our Christian life. We share in his anointing. Well, the gospel is that the Son of God took on human flesh to serve us, us undeserving sinners, the recipients of all this grace and all this mercy. And he came to serve us, not just for a short time on earth, but continually. And so the glimpse of heaven that the Gospels present for us in their description of Christ in his threefold office is a glimpse of service. We get a a picture of heaven through Christ's godly service. Christ's life is defined by service because he was anointed. And now we know where this is going because we share in his anointing. So what is our life defined by but the same thing. We've been anointed to service. And so we can use those same three offices. When we, when we received his work, when we shared in his anointing, and we confess it so clearly, it's such a clear comparison, we're, we're brought into his service as prophet, priest, and king. Now, unlike Christ's service, Your service doesn't earn you access into God's presence, for Christ has done that once and for all. But at the same time, if you have been brought into the fellowship with God out of mere grace, you will seek to show your anointing by the way you live your life. His offices are reflected in every part of every Christian's life. Christians, says Paul, are conformed to the image of of Christ. Christians will repeat the words of Christ, their chief prophet and teacher, in a way that's comparable to the way that our devices broadcast the songs and the podcasts that have been prepared long ago. Everywhere we go, we're, we're like a, a device repeating what Christ has already prepared and taught. Christians will also receive the finished work of our only high priest by living as forgiven children of God who have direct access to the Father in Jesus Christ, their mediator. You you see that it's a life so full of smiles and thanksgiving and and relief and, and joy that we have the Father for us. Christians also participate in that spiritual warfare now built up in Christ. We, we see that the, the, the war that the eternal king is, is waging. And we can see that spiritual battle not only in the sins in our own lives, but, but also in, in the world. And so we are 
kings, when we are repenting of our sins, so that we might stay, abide with Christ even in trials, as we look at that promise he gave to us about sitting down at that banquet, sitting on the, twelve, the, the thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That's in Luke 22. And again, the question then comes, as you share in his anointing, can people see that in your lives? It's a good thing for young people to ask one another. Ask yourself. You can ask one another, how are we, by doing this, how are we showing that we are Christians, that we share in Christ's anointing? When they hear me speak, do they hear his voice? When I live my life, are, are people finding joy in his love together with me? Am I bringing people into his love? And when I do this, am I bowing my knee to Christ the King? Or am I raising my fist against him? Do you understand how the confession that the Son of God is called the Christ, it's an amazing declaration of praise for God for that's where we come back to we are not Christ's in the same way that he is Christ he has done it all for us and in our place and that's why we end this statement it's it's doxology it's praise to God alone besides stating the faith teaching the unchurched and guarding against heresies coming into the church and shaping our conduct. The final purpose of every creedal statement is to give praise to God. And so why do we like to, to sing, to, to praise God, that the Son of God is called Christ? It's a celebration of the depth of his love and the amazing willingness of Christ to serve us, undeserving sinners, in his threefold office. Repeat, repeating the name Christ in praise. Our, our hearts are, are lifted up in humble adoration of the one who came to serve us by giving his life as a ransom for many. He became our prophet and our priest and our king, not for himself. He already had all the glory and, and fellowship forever, but he did that for us, to serve us, his body, the church, in our office to serve. Through Christ, God sees you who believe in him as a person who has been restored to fellowship with him and to his neighbor. Through Christ, God sees you back in, in, in that paradise relationship. And we pray that God may open our eyes to see what Christ our head has completed to accept him as our good shepherd without interfering with his love for the flock so that we might be Christ-like in our service to those around us. The Son of God was ordained and anointed to serve others. He fulfilled the service offices, and when we live as members of his body, we share in his anointing. We will also serve others with all sincerity and love. And brothers and sisters, as you go from here this day, have that in your mind. How can I be 
a useful vessel in the hand of the master of the house by serving others. Amen. We'll now sing together Psalm 103, stanzas 7, 8, and 9. Psalm 